Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That is where we finished last week in Matthew chapter 11, with an invitation and a call to come to Jesus. I think probably more so last week than any message I've given in a long time, did I get the feedback from several of you, you needed last week's text. And the good news is that if you weren't here last week, or if we thought, well, we got it, so we're good to go, as you all know, that's not how things work. We need it again. And so, thankfully, the writer of Matthew who compiled Matthew's gospel is going to tell us exactly what it looks like to come to Jesus and find rest for your souls. I'm convinced we need this text. I don't mean just in a general sense because it's the Bible, we all need the Bible. I mean in this time, in this cultural moment, at this place where we're doing life together, 21st century American Christians in the northwest suburbs of Chicago need the Sabbath. More than just the Sabbath, they need the Lord of the Sabbath. And so in this message, what I'd like us to see in chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, is that we're going to learn what the Sabbath is, what it's really all about, who the Lord of the Sabbath is, and how we get both. What the Sabbath is, what it really is all about, what really matters. The Lord of the Sabbath and how we can get both. Let's read the passage and we'll walk through them in that order. Starting in verse 1 on page 816 in the Black Bibles around you, Matthew chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? 
so that they might accuse him, he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. As you can see, what brings these two passages together is a story that takes place on the Sabbath day and the interactions that Jesus has with a group of religious people called the Pharisees, whom we'll explain a little bit more later who they are. For now, let's just make sure we're all on the same page about what's the Sabbath, because I'm convinced we need it. And if I had to guess, many of us in this room aren't taking advantage of this amazing gift from God. We need the Sabbath. As you see in Jesus' interactions with these Pharisees, he's going to really explain the heart and the meaning and what really matters in the Sabbath. The story begins in verses 1 and 2. At that time, Jesus went through these grain fields, and it was on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat them. What field were they eating from? Not theirs. This isn't Jesus' field of grain. This is not the disciples' field of grain. This is some random Jewish Palestinian farmer that they're taking grain from. It's interesting, isn't it, that when you and I would read this in American lenses, we would read this and say, that's stealing. But that's not the issue that is being presented as they eat this food. They don't care about eating the grain because in Deuteronomy chapter 23, according to the Jewish law, you're allowed to just take some food and start eating it. This is not illegal. It's not stealing. Farmers are not supposed to take all of the food in their farm field. It says, leave the edges of the field so that when poor people or hungry people walk by, there's food for them to just pick and pluck. But what you can't do is start reaping it as like, well, here's some free food. Let's go sell it and make some money. No, no, that's stealing. That's Deuteronomy chapter 23. So to be clear, Jesus is not stealing. To further be clear, Jesus is not breaking the Sabbath. That's the whole point of his interaction in part. That's the first surface layer that we need to discuss here, is that Jesus is not breaking the Sabbath as he is so being charged. What he is breaking is man-made laws about the Sabbath. You see, the Old Testament command was clear. Don't work. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. But if you and I think about this for more than a second, you'll realize, well, what's work? What's not work? And so what the Old Testament often does is it gives you a principal law, like remember the Sabbath day. Then it gives you case laws so you can help make sense of when that law should be applied. So if you start following the Old Testament, you'll realize gathering manna on the Sabbath day was not allowed. Making and collecting firewood in Numbers chapter 15 is not allowed, and a man got stoned to death for collecting firewood on the Sabbath. Plowing and harvesting was not allowed. Trading goods and carrying loads, 
That sums up all the case laws. We got five examples. Are you satisfied with those case laws to say, okay, now I know what working is and what resting is? For some of you, would going out for a nice jog and running on the Sabbath day, would that be restful to you? Or you'd be like, no, that'd be work, Phil. So at what point does physical exertion be, that's too much? And so that's why 613 commands and case laws in the Old Testament were not enough for the Israelite Jewish community. So scribes, teachers of the law, wrote new ones. It started first with an oral tradition, but then it got compiled into a book. That book is called the Mishnah. 1,500 extra commands and rules and regulations were added to the already 613. What they were supposed to do is try and explain how the 613 work. Like, for example, the Sabbath. The command is clear. Don't work, rest, and remember. But when are you doing that and when are you not? Well, let me give you 1,500 commands to help you. In fact, it's 39 categories of when work is and work isn't. Let me give you some examples from the Mishnah because my guess is that's not been in your latest reading last week. No farming or hunting. Now that makes sense. It's similar to what we already saw in the case law. In an agricultural society, farming and hunting would often been how you would have provided work for your family. No untying a knot on a rope. No sewing more than one stitch. Just one. Something tears, well, you can put one stitch in it on the Sabbath. The rest of the stitches will have to wait. No writing two letters to a friend or a family member. One letter's okay. Two, that's work. You may not walk more than a half mile. For some of you, that might be like, no, that's work too. But this was called a Sabbath day journey. 2,000 cubits or something to be exact, but it's about a half mile since we don't typically measure in cubits. So these are the rules in the Mishnah. I'm just giving you a taste of them. Is it obvious why one Jewish leader said the rules about the Sabbath in the Mishnah are like mountains hanging from a thread of hair? Scripture is quite scanty, but these rules are so many. Like a mountain hanging from the thread of a hair. Do you see what Jesus is up against? When these men say, look, verse 2, your disciples are not doing what is lawful. They are not doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. What they are saying is, you are breaking the Mishnah. Jesus, by his responses, is showing, I am not breaking God's laws. But maybe we are breaking your laws. Now, I think at this point, we need to make sure we're understanding a little bit of like, oh, these legalistic Pharisee people, they just are all about rules, rules, rules. 
Let's have some sense of sympathy for them because the aim of the Mishnah was to make sure that you did not leave anything to chance and that you didn't inadvertently somewhere violate the law. Now, if you have stories in your scriptures that you believe in a God that stones people to death for gathering sticks on the Sabbath, you might be like, okay, this is serious. And so they're taking this seriously. Hey, I think we can like, okay, yeah, they're, they're being careful here. One person said that, or a rabbi said that it's basically like we're putting a fence around the law to just make sure you don't break the law. So have you ever been to a national park and there's like a barrier that's telling you you can't go any further? But it's like you're keeping us from actually enjoying the park or being close to something. And it's like, well, we just want to make sure you don't get too close and fall in and get eaten by lions or something, you know, we're going to just make sure you're really far back, but like the pictures aren't as good and the experience is good. You want to be up close. Or maybe that's just me. It's that kind of idea. Like you can hopefully be a little bit more sympathetic when you understand that this is the heart behind these Mishnah laws. What happened though is that these laws ended up making people more restless than restful. They did not achieve the aim of the law to begin with. And so, what really matters is the heart of God's law, which is what Jesus is pointing at. And the heart of this law is what you and I desperately need. The controversy is centering around whether or not the Sabbath is being observed in a certain way, not whether or not the Sabbath is being observed. Did you catch that in the text? If Jesus was going to say, well, we don't have to obey the Sabbath because I've come to abolish the law, there's no more need to obey the Sabbath. He could have made that very clear. But instead, he tells a story about David. He talks about priests working in the temple. And then he quotes from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Look at verse 7 with me. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Meaning, Jesus is saying, we are not guilty. We have not obeyed, disobeyed God's laws. We are breaking your man-made laws. But if you would have known the heart of the law, that God desires mercy and not sacrifice, then you would not have condemned me or my disciples. This further story is illustrated in the next, further point is illustrated in the next story when Jesus tells him in verse 11, after the man with the withered hand is there, which of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Do you see the point and the heart behind the Sabbath? It is to restore, it is to bring rest, it is to bring health and life, not just to you, but your family, your servants, and your animals. That's actually in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Go back and read the Ten Commandments. Your animals should rest on the Sabbath. They shall not do any work, nor your maidservant or your manservant. No one will work on the Sabbath. You are not just to receive rest, you are to give rest to all that is around you. That's the heart of the commandment. And Jesus is pointing out that they are actually putting burdens, heavy yokes upon people with their Mishnah laws. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. My teaching of the Torah is light and easy in comparison to theirs. Come to me if you are weary 
and heavy laden and bogged down by man-made rules and find rest because I will give you God's heart as I explain to you what he really wants for you. Namely, in this particular case, God wants rest for you. How insane is it for you and I to be like, yeah, I don't want that. How arrogant, how proud. Are you wiser than God? Do you know better than God? God rested. God. Are you, are you more powerful or superior than the almighty, infinite God? Why would we not receive this as the great gift that it is? We, we need the Sabbath to receive rest and to give rest to everyone around us. Slaves are the kind of people who do not take days off from work. Like literally, if you're a slave, you don't get days off. You don't get vacation days. You don't go to your master and say, Now, master, did we negotiate two weeks of vacation or three? Because I forgot. Uh, zero? Do you remember that the Sabbath was the point of the Exodus? That they were in slavery under the very heavy yoke of the taskmaster Pharaoh and that they were rescued from bondage so that they may worship him and explicitly worship him on the Sabbath day. Friends, we need the Sabbath. Many of us have come to know Jesus as Lord of the harvest, but we have forgotten that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. If you cannot say no to work or your phone or to all these demands that are around you, it could be non-work related, but you're just a person that can't say no, then you, my friend, are a slave. Sabbath is about stopping. It is about saying no. Is it about making boundaries around your family, your time, your energy, your Everything. Sabbath is not just about a day or a day off. It is about a mindset, about a trust in a God who is going to take care of you even if you stop. Sabbath, I don't believe, is a command in the New Testament that we must obey because we're in the Old Covenant. But it is a principle of wisdom that begins on the first page of Scripture and culminates into the story of Jesus as we see here now. And Jesus wants to affirm and release the Sabbath to you all so that you can receive it as a gift from God and as the light yoke on your shoulders that makes your burdens easier. Do you realize what a yoke is? A yoke could be something that animals, two by two, one on one shoulder, one on the other, carry together. More likely, as I studied last week's passage, I believe the yoke is a yoke that's put on a, a human being, like a slave. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. It's a play on words. He's using an instrument that was used to enslave people to tell you, I'm using my yoke to set you free. It is easy. It is light. It is supposed to, by the way, whether it's the animal picture or the human picture, the yoke on the shoulders is to help carry your burden easier. So if I go over here and I'm like trying to carry something, that would be big and heavy. It would be hard. But if I were to get like some wheels and something to carry it and make it easier on the wheels, like a cart, it'd be a whole lot simpler. That's what Jesus is saying. 
My yoke is like that cart that can carry that big boulder. Think of a wheelbarrow helping a a man work out in the field and he's got all these rocks and dirt and he couldn't carry it all by himself, but with the wheelbarrow, he can. Jesus does not say, come to me and I will get rid of your burdens. He says, come to me and you will find rest. If you put my yoke upon you, then your burdens will be light and easy. Sabbath is one of those yokes that we need to put on our shoulders to help us carry our weekly and daily burdens. Friends, I have been convicted about this starting about a year ago, just not from preaching texts that we've been going through, even though we've covered the Sabbath a good bit. I've taught on this in Hebrews. I've taught on this from the Ten Commandments. I've taught on this from the book of Genesis. We've covered the Sabbath a lot. And I don't think it's until now that I can say with some sense of confidence, like, I actually believe that we need this, that I need this. I'm starting about a year ago to practice Sabbath-keeping. I know that I don't need to keep the Sabbath for my salvation. Do we all have that clear? This is not some rule that if you don't do it, then, oh my, you are out. Church discipline, next members meeting for you. Sabbath is a gift from God that is like breathing. It is so helpful to breathe. Amen? We need it. And this is what a lot of us are breathing like. Have you ever played in the swimming pool with a child or or go back to your early childhood days and you're in the swimming pool and you're saying, hey, I can hold my breath longer than you. And so you go into the water and you go, and you hold it for 30, 40, 50, maybe 60 seconds. Maybe some of you go two minutes because you're amazing. You've got big lungs and you've been practicing and you're building it up. This is what a lot of us are like. We're holding our breath and we go work, 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 work. Imagine living your life breathing like that. That's what we're living like when we don't stop and Sabbath. So is it a command that you must take a day off and Sabbath? Not just a day off, but a Sabbath day once a week. Is it a command? Nope. But is it stupid to breathe like that? Like unwise, not helpful. You will not carry your burdens in your life well if you do not follow the teaching and the heart that Jesus is giving. No, no, no. The Sabbath was made for healing. The Sabbath was made for resting. The Sabbath was made for feeding the hungry. Of course it's okay for us to pluck grain on the edge of the field. Of course it's okay for me to heal the man with an arm that's mangled or disabled. Of course it's okay to pick up the animal out of the pit in the ditch. Those things might in fact require some amount of strenuous effort, but that kind of work is a different kind of work. It is healing, restorative work, and that's what your Sabbath work should look like. For any of you, if your Sabbath work is, say for example, on Sunday mornings, and you're thinking, my Sabbath practice is I'm going to take, is going to go from Saturday night all the way to Sunday night which is what my recommendation would be. is just a little tip. Sabbath begins at sundown and ends at the next sundown. Think of Genesis chapter 1. It was evening and then it was morning. Evening and then it was morning. 
There's a pattern that we have missed in the Jewish way of thinking about time. And we need to embrace it. We need to bring it into our lives. One of my favorite stories in researching about the Sabbath over the last year has been from a Portland pastor who wrote a book on it called The Subversive Sabbath. And he tells a story in there about Jews in the Holocaust. And could you imagine much more difficult burdens to be carrying in this world than being in a concentration camp during World War II? Anybody want to top that this week and say, yeah, I've got worse burdens than that? Like, you get what I mean? You know? And so this author tells a story that a letter was written from Jew- uh, Nazis in Germany saying that the best way to break the will and the soul of the Jews is to not let them Sabbath. He says, for it seems like every time they take their Sabbath, it's as if they get their soul back. That gripped me. Could you imagine a bigger burden than concentration camps? But worshiping and pursuing rest once a week got their soul back. How many of you are carrying mighty burdens and you need to find your soul. What you need is not a vacation. You need a weekly rest. We are easily one of the most exhausted emotionally, physically overworked, and spiritually malnourished people in human history. I could go on for a long time, giving you data and stats about how we work more than other people, we take less vacations than other people, when we vacation, we do it poorly, where we're always on our phones and staying busy with our work. We don't know how to rest. My friends, we need the Sabbath. God made us this way. If you go against the grain of the universe, you will get splinters. I didn't make that up. That was a quote. I don't know who it was from, though. But it's good. God has so ordained the world to set a rhythm of rest in your life. Are you receiving it? Jesus, in this teaching, is showing the very heart of it. It is to give rest. It is to give mercy. God's commands are not to lay a burden on your shoulders. It is to set you free. That's our first point. We need the Sabbath. Much more than that, though, we need the Lord of the Sabbath. We need Jesus. Everything that happens when you do the Sabbath, like start practicing it, is to help point you more and more to the Christ who is the Lord of the Sabbath. To help you understand more of who he is and more of who you are. And so Sabbath practicing is a discipline that I would encourage you to do because you desperately need it just in everyday life, but especially because you need it for your relationship with Christ. Jesus wants us to come to him to find rest. That's why this is not just a day off or another vacation. How many of you have taken vacations and you're like, man, I need a vacation from that vacation? If you've ever felt that way, my guess is it's because you have not disciplined the practice of Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest is a whole different idea. It's a gospel idea. It's an idea that tells us that when you go to sleep at night, God is in control. When you stop working, God will still provide. 
Sabbath rest is about trusting in Christ, that his work is finished, his work is done. So therefore, rest. The way Jesus responds to these arguments, by the way, shows you that this is not just about what should or shouldn't I do on the Sabbath. It would be so easy for Jesus to start arguing with them about the Mishnah or going back to Exodus. Have you ever thought when they accuse him of, why are you guys breaking the law on the Sabbath? Why doesn't he go, well, let's go back to the law? That's not what he does. He says, if you had only read your Bibles, do you realize he's talking to people that have the Bibles memorized? Like there's a sense of little irony there. And he does it three times, by the way. Look at the text again. Verse three. Have you not read, slap in the face, kind of undermining the very existence of these guys? Next, look at verse five. Or have you not read in the law? Verse seven. And if you had not known what this means, and then quotes Hosea. Have you not read your Bibles? If only you would have known your Bibles, you would have known not just what the Sabbath is about. That was our first point. You would have known the greater, the greater temple, the greater Moses, the greater David, the greater high priest. All of that is packed into Jesus' responses right here. A lot. It's a lot. So let's first take the first story. Why does Jesus not take the easy way out of saying, listen, my disciples were hungry, and so human hunger overrides Sabbath law. This is the way I've heard so many people throughout Christian churches and pastors, go listen to some sermons, I'll send you some, where it's like human necessity trumps exceptions for Sabbath law. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. But this is the way people teach it. They were hungry, and therefore to live, you should make sure you eat, so that's okay to do that little bit of work to eat. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus does not take the easy way out. He raises the stakes so much higher and starts talking about King David going to God's house in 1 Samuel 21. Not a coffee cup story. Not in any of your children's Bibles. We had it read earlier in the service, so when Amanda got up here, she was reading for you that story. What's going on in that story? It's not an ancient biblical example of showing how David worked around some laws. The story is when David himself has been anointed king over the nation of Israel. Anointed. Is he on the throne yet? Answer, no. Who's on the throne? Saul. If you're on the throne and some young punk type kid, he gets anointed, are you happy about this? If you want to stay on the throne, of course not. This is a threat to your throne. And so, David is running for his life. Saul is trying to kill David. That's what's going on in 1 Samuel 21. David is on the run, and as he's on the run, he has no food, and so he and his band of followers are hungry. Are you starting to see the parallels? Who has been anointed son of God at his baptism? The greater David. So David, Jesus, are running for their lives. 
They're both anointed men, and they have a posse with them, escaping from people who want to get rid of them. And so David goes to God's house and eats the holy bread. The priest gives it to David, knowing at the minimum the heart of the law, but furthermore, knowing David's authority as king. Jesus quotes this story to explain two simple things. First, Jesus is the true king like David was. Second, he and his followers are not going to a temple. They are the temple. Like, read this. I'm not making this up. This is absurd. They're in the middle of a cornfield, and they say, we are the temple right here. Read the text. It says in verse 5, Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, yet they're still guiltless? They're not guilty for working in the temple. Verse 6, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Jesus, in his body, is the temple. He is the priest. He is the king. If you are not following, this is fighting talk. This gets you killed. If it hasn't made sense so far, why? In verse 14, it says, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Why? Why are they so upset? He just told some stories. I mean, he was a little offensive to say, like, hey, haven't you read? But like, Really? What's the big deal? Hopefully now you see what the big deal is. These Pharisees, the best common day illustration is this. In 2020, something big is going to happen that you and I are going to get sick and tired of hearing about in the news. Anyone want to take a guess what that is? An election. Thank you. Yes. If you've not already started to hear about it, you will. And every time a candidate is put forward on whatever side, who is going to be the police that tell you every little thing that they ever did in their whole life? Who? The media, journalists. The best common day illustration of what's happening in our text and today is to say journalists. These Pharisees are like journalists. Have they been appointed by any sense of government or political party or religious authority to have the position that they have to tell people what's right and what's wrong and what's lawful and what's not lawful? Do they? Answer, no. They are self-appointed groups of people that are going around and telling people how they should or shouldn't live. Anybody do that on TV a lot? Hmm. Do you see the parallel? Here's the further parallel. Jesus has been anointed as the new king over Israel. What if you don't like that candidate? You will look for every little thing you can find to throw dirt on his campaign. That's what we do today. That's what they were doing here. They're conspiring against him, and when he says he is the greater temple, when he tells a story about David, he is saying, I am the one I am the king. I am the greater David. I am the very temple itself. That's blasphemous. It's putting you on par with God. It's saying that you have the authority to forgive sins as a temple and priest. 
So understanding it in their eyes and their ways, maybe at this point you don't understand, oh, this is why Jesus got killed. Because as we read through Matthew's gospel, this is a foreshadow of the cross and the week before Jesus dies. It will be the same exact events and stories that get brought up by Jewish leaders about temple, about authority, about kingdom, and these are the things that he gets executed for. But praise be to God that though we need the Sabbath, and furthermore we need the very Lord and Master of the Sabbath, we can get it because of that death. If you need the Sabbath, what do you need? You need rest. How do you receive rest from your work? Like the rest when you don't just take a day off, but your soul is at rest. Tim Keller very eloquently says, it's the work underneath the work. How many times have you gone home from work and it's like, I'm bringing work home with me? How many times have you finished the project, but you're still anxious about whether or not the project's going to be good enough? How many times parents, as we're raising our children, are we thinking, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? I'm trying everything I can to do everything I can. Oh, is I doing enough? The work underneath the work. That constant treadmill of the heart. That's the kind of rest that we need. That's the kind of rest that Jesus gives, and he provides it by dying on the cross. For our sins, precisely by declaring himself the authority over the Sabbath. Jesus became restless in a garden so that you and I could find rest in him. Jesus shouted and cried in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you and I could find rest for our souls. Did you know that Jesus was destroyed. That's the word for killed in verse 14. They sought how to destroy him, how to kill him. He was, in fact, killed on a Friday, the sixth day of the Jewish week. And on the sixth day, as he hung on the cross, he said one word in the Greek, tetelestai, or as we know it, it is finished. Why can you rest from your works? How can you find the rest, the real rest, the rest from the work underneath of the work? When you know that the ultimate cosmic restlessness was placed on Jesus, and at the end of his life, he said, it is finished. And so on Sabbath, Saturday morning, he rested in a tomb, and he did not get up for the whole day. He just stayed there. Praise God. Easter morning, on that third day, he rose again from the dead, conquering death, conqu conquering restlessness, and now offers to you and I, as Lord of the Sabbath, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. 
for I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Let's pray.